The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi everybody, Andrew Gormley, CEO of Classic Flyers here. If you're interested in classic aviation and you want to get up close and personal to old aircraft and see some of New Zealand's aviation history, come across the Classic Flyers, Jean Batten Drive, Mount Monganui, right on the edge of the airport. You can go for flights in old aeroplanes like Boeing Stearmans and Harvards. There's lots to see. Kids' parties happening here all the time. We have functions and function rooms, business meetings, and a great cafe with excellent coffee. If you'd like to be involved with Classic Flyers, we also have the volunteer groups who do all things from helping out with function work or just on the main hangar floor with visitors and guests or birthday parties, right through to engineers who get involved in restoring some of our wonderful old aircraft assets. Currently at the moment, we've got a Grumman Avenger being restored and a de Havilland single-seat FB5 Vampire. These things are all part of New Zealand's aviation history. It's a great place and it's in a good location. Come and have a visit. Check out the website on www.classicfliersnz.com. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. The following interview with Jack Godfrey was recorded on the 10th of October 2019 only a matter of weeks before he sadly passed away. Jack was a renowned modeler in Hamilton, and he also built his own aircraft. We'll start off by getting you to give your full name. Well, my full name is Frederick John Godfrey, and been known as Jack. Yep. Mainly because my father was Frederick Knoll, my grandfather was Frederick John. Okay. Mum says we got too many friends in the place, so I got dubbed Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that part of it came around. So right. and I was Jack for pretty much all my life. Okay. Uh, so where and when were you born? Born in Auckland, 1931. Yep. And then we went to Hawke's Bay, I think uh, about 1938, 39. And then we went to Hastings. Dad, uh, Dad was the first apprentice to Cooper in New Zealand. Okay. Prior to that, they used to bring the Pommy guys out to do the barrels. And uh, he worked for the Lion Breweries 
as they printed. He started life as a in an architect's office, but he didn't like the office work. Right. He went into hands-on, and uh, <clears throat> and he turned it into a bit of a hobby too, which I can show you a couple of examples of his work. Okay. And um, so yeah, that's that. So that's background for Dad. Uh, growing up, grew up in Auckland, and down the road on a farm was where the, presumably the Auckland Model Aero Club flew their models on the weekend. They were the big gas-powered ones at that time. Pre-flight, no radio, of course. I remember one day one sort of buzzed over our place, the motor stopped and it ended up hanging in the power lines. <laughs> and I'm only, you know, this one. Yep. So they went and borrowed mum's clothes probably <laughs> had to knock it down out of the and that was my sort of first introduction to, to model aircraft. So what part of Auckland was that in? Mount Rossmore. Okay. And uh, there's a school on that site now. Well there was some years back there were just open fields there. Yeah. <coughs> uh, we were yes so uh, Auckland uh, that went to Hastings, uh, or went to Napier actually, and that was about the the time of the, just before the outbreak of the war. And by that time Dad was, well, he'd done a couple of jobs, and then he ended up with the freezing works during the war years because he was in essential industry. Yep. They were doing the barrels there. and. Uh, now, I, <coughs> I didn't see a lot of Dad, you know, he was work early in the morning, late at night, weekends, and then there was home guard and all that sort of stuff through the through the war years. But um, uh, while we were in Auckland, a friend gave us, me, a kit set for a model aeroplane. And... Uh, well, of course, it would be beyond me to build it myself. So Dad had a look at it, yeah. and on a weekend, on the Saturday when he was finished work, he'd go to model there and have a look in the window at the, the models to see how they they went together. <laughs> so he'd go home and he'd, he'd build this thing, and I remember him uh, winding it up, and we had it on the counter in the kitchen, and wound the rubber up and it shot off. I said, wow, it flies. <laughs> so that was one of my very early introductions to, to model aircraft. And then another friend gave us a kit set. Uh, my brother and I had a kit set each, and they were the uh, model there, Redbird. It was not the Redbird Junior, it was the Redbird. And 30 uh, inch wingspan, rubber power. Anyway, Dad built this. And before it was finished, we shifted to Napier. Right. So the, the aeroplane was put into a box. And I'm just going through this because I can remember some of these things there. They were impressive as far as I was concerned. Anyway, we went to Napier, finally got this thing finished. Went over to the boys' high school, wound it up, flew. And it was sort of heading towards the coast. We lived right on the coast there. And we thought, right, it's going to head for the sea. 
and it hit the power lines, all the telephone lines, and dropped down. So if it hadn't got the power lines, it would have been in the sea. <laughs> I very much doubt that, but that was our impression that we had. And, um, you know, from, from there on, model aircraft were the main thing. But, of course, through the war years, uh, you couldn't get the supplies. And I knew little about it. And uh, I remember subscribing to Era Modeler magazine about 1947. I've still got that from about 1947 on. And then, if you wanted to build a model, you had to send away for the plan. They had a reproduction in the magazine, you know, small page size. And if there was a design that I rather liked, I got out my pencil and dividers and ruler, scale it up. The model might have been a six foot wingspan, too big for, the, for this boy, but uh, I'd build a smaller one yeah. and scale it to, to suit. And, uh, and I, I eventually got a, an IC motor, a little diesel, and I remember seeing the plan of the Black Magic, which was a real nice looking aeroplane. Looked like an aeroplane. And uh, I remember one of the club guys at the time said, one flight looks like too much like an aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> too much like a real one or something, you know. But anyway, uh, I, I made this one a three-quarter size, so that was one of the first models that I scaled. And thereafter, because we had to wait sort of six or eight weeks if you sent away for a, a plan, I used to get the dividers out, scale it up to whatever I wanted, whether it was up to the original designer's size or half size or three-quarter size. I did quite a few of those. Um, but anyway, in the, in the interim, while I was still at school, we used to go and haunt the aerodrome, watch the aeroplanes there. And so what was the first aeroplane you remember seeing? Full-size one. I think I was about um, about five or six, seven or something. We went to an air show at Mangaree in Auckland. It was an aerodrome at that time before yep. the airport. And I remember getting a ride in a uh, Beechcraft Stagger Wing. Oh, right. Beach D17. I always remember that. Nice. ZK AJS silver and green. So that was my first introduction to, to fly. So you probably would have seen Dave Allen flying at that show. Do, do you remember him? It was the CFI at the Aero Club there. Wow. And apparently he was really amazing. Yeah. He did a lot of aerobatics and stuff. He yeah. was like the Ray Hanner of his time. Right. Yeah. Well, we, used, we used to go out there and occasionally watch the the aerobatics and that from uh, he used to do it every Sunday, so you probably saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when we went out with the family, you know, going to watch them. And uh, I think it was a an uncle. He set up the um, bus service in Auckland, White Star Motors, Edwards White Star Motors, and he had a. I think it was a Chev coupe with the fold-down dicky seat at the back, yep. 
And I remember going for a ride in the, in the Dickie's seat with Dad, Dad and my two brothers, one of my brothers, three of us in the, in the seat. And I remember going out to the beach, out to um, uh, the Auckland one, you know, the one out of whatever it is, landscapes you know, for the moment. But anyway, uh, <coughs> I remember going out in this open area <coughs> car, quite a lot of fun. But anyway, that, that was Auckland. Um, when we got to uh, Hastings, and I used to haunt the aerodrome, uh, <coughs> Temple Martin, a man to be conjured with, uh, he used to get me to push the tiger moths out and help. So he showed me how to start them, you know, can crank them and all the rest of it, top up the oil. And he offered me an apprenticeship okay. engineering. So he, goes, he used to do the, the work. And I remember one school holidays helping him on the uh, on a tiger moth. We, we recovered it. I always remember the aircraft. It came in, uh, ZKANL, Able Man Love. Anyway, Temple rolled it out, shiny beach blue and deep cream, lovely aeroplane, and, uh, and that was belonged to the Waipakara Aero Club. They had it for many years. Anyway, Temple offered me an apprenticeship, and Dad says, "Oh, so I don't think there's any future in fixing up old aeroplanes." He wouldn't let me take it. Oh, really? He said, oh, he said, they've always wanted newspapers. How about going to newspapers? Uh, in actual fact, I, I started out with aerial mapping as a mosaic plotter. Okay. And again, Dad's opinion was, well, if you leave Hastings, there's nowhere else you could do that work. And uh, after I'd done my CTC, ATC, no, Compulsory military training. Yes, that was in 1950. I went to Tyree. I was in the. Uh, they shoveled me into airframes at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought afterwards, you know, the 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 psychology of the ABA of the Air Force, they must have got it right because they could have put me in anywhere. Mm. They put me into airframes probably because of my interest in models and what I'd done previously, the ATC and that. Anyway, um, uh, I was at aerial mapping when, when I got put into the uh, um, CMT, uh, three months of training at Tyree, and got back and I couldn't really settle back into, into aerial mapping. There was a guy there who'd been in the Air Force through the war years, and he and I didn't hit it off. Right. I think I think it was the war had affected him to a degree. Looking back on it now, and in the end, I don't know, gave it away. And that was when Dad said, "We'll go into newspapers." He said, "They all want newspapers. Become a linotype operator, or well, operator mechanic, which meant that I was able to maintain my own machine." And um, just before we finished the apprenticeship, we got engaged. And the only way we could get a house was to uh, get a farmhouse. Oh. So we went off. I went shepherding for 
four years. But the other thing was the doctor had said to me, oh, I'd been having some tummy trouble, and he reckoned it was stress. Yeah, the sameness of the job day after day after day, typesetting, bang. And, and um, anyway, Pam and I moved into the, out onto the farm. There four years, got this bloke here. <laughs> he was born out there. And, uh, and then after a time we, we had a little bit of money and the government had allowed us to capitalise on the family benefit back then, so we were able to use that as a deposit on a house. So we went back into town, back to Tarara, and built a house there. Uh, and all this time I still stayed with, with the model aircraft, and um, uh, what else? That was that was it. I did a lot of a lot of model building. Well, I've got a few questions to yeah, uh, right. go back on just there. When you went to um, when you were in Auckland and you went to model air, what was model air like? Um, as a oh, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was an Aladdin's cave of model aircraft all over the place. And when we after we went to Hawke's Bay, we used to go to Auckland for holiday stay with grandmother, grandfather up there at there Epsom. And uh, soon as we got acclimatised onto the tram, going to Newmarket. To, to model there and I'd buy a kit set and I'd go home and I'd build this, this kit set and go up one tree hill and fly it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that so was how, how I did it, you know. So the kit sets then would have all been balsa kits? They are all balsa kits, yeah. yeah. Just strip wood and you got a box about yo big there. They were mostly, the, well the one that's a week or a Ford were probably three and sixpence or two and eleven or something. And uh, rubber powered, have a glider. Uh, some of them flew, some of them didn't fly very well, <coughs> mainly because I, I didn't have the, the knowledge at the time of trimming, and that. But I just enjoyed the building, the creating of, them. and uh, broken razor blade to cut the, the wood. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what about uh, in, when you were in Napier and um, Hastings, where did you get your models then? Um, well that was through the war years so it was a bit hard to get get the materials. But we had a guy in Hastings at a bookshop, his name was Williams, Rookie Williams they used to call him because he charged double. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he did but anyway that was what they reckoned. Uh, we used to buy buy our bolts and supplies from him, and uh, <clears throat> that, as I said, through the war years, you really couldn't couldn't get very much stuff at all. Right. So because all the bolts that came from overseas, and yeah, they weren't yeah, yeah, because yeah. of the yeah. shipping problems. And but I remember making models of aircraft by using the dry grass stalks. Oh, yeah, yeah. And thin copper wire, and I'd bend the copper, put, slip it into the end of a grass stalk, so that you had a a structure that looked a little bit like an aeroplane. When I look back on it now, it was, but it was the creating of 
something that looked like an airplane. Right, right. And, uh, and that was it. So. Okay. Uh, uh, I think um, back then, in the 1930s and 40s, um, model aircraft was a, a really big hobby amongst young boys, wasn't it? It was, yeah, back, back into the... Um, Certainly the 40s, when we were at school, yes, we had four or five of us and set. Well, after the war, we had a couple of the guys who'd been overseas, they came back. We managed to get them to, to join up with us and we reformed the Hastings Model Aero Club. Okay. I remember there were about six of us, I think, met in a friend's garage. Right. Well, remember that. And, and these two guys, ex-army they, they uh, came in one of them was secretary I think he was secretary treasury he'd been like that for years and, uh, and that was the only thing that he did um, but yes you're right model aircraft were it was a, a big game back then yeah yeah there was a lot of us at school so what sort of aircraft were you seeing coming through um, Hawke's Bay during the war? Um, I remember seeing the Wildebeests oh. going down the coast there, t towing a drogue for, for gunnery practice. Yep. Would well, they have been coming from Gisborne, I guess? There was a squadron base at Gisborne. It probably. I, I don't know where they were. There was... Uh, I'm not sure whether they were flying out of Bridge Power, but we were living in Napier at the time, so uh, and of course they had the um, Napier Aerodrome, which was on the harbour there, the, the raised up harbour after the earthquake, and they had a gliding club there uh, by the embankment, as you, if you know Napier at all, you know the embankment where the railway line goes around West Shore. It was down from, from there anyway, there was the, the gliding club. Okay. And uh, I remember seeing the primary gliders there. The, those were the frame ones with the pilot sitting out in the, in the front of it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I watched them sort of tow them up on a winch or something like that. Okay. Uh, I remember that, but I, I was really a bit too young to, to fully appreciate what I was seeing. Um, the type of aircraft, as I said, uh, end of the war we saw the um, Meteor come oh, over, yeah. did, a, did a fly around, flew around over the school. Yep. And uh, then a little after that we got the V bombers, the Volkman and the um, Victor. Yep. In fact, I think some of that I've got on my movie film. Right. I've got a lot, quite a lot of film on uh, of those aircraft. Okay. Uh, the there were all sorts of aircraft came into Bridge Park. Uh, Waco. Um, the very light, the light sporting aircraft, the two seaters, the four seaters, uh, all the American, mostly the American. Now I remember with the Miles Gemini came in on a demo flight, and he offered the pilots to uh, Temple Martin 
uh, I'll hop in and I'll take you for a ride. And Tim said, no, take the boy. <laughs> so I was the boy I got into the, into the um, Gemini, had a ride in this Gemini. Right. First one in New Zealand. Right. And there was also a Miles Whitney Strait. Oh, yeah. The, the Aero Club had that. There was a Proctor, Percival Proctor. Um, where else came in? Was there an airline service going in today? No. No, there was no, no airline. Airline came to Napier sometime later, much later. Right. Uh, I, I, I can't really remember the details on the setting up of, of the, um, probably Air New Zealand or wherever it was operating at the yeah, time. Yeah, was And you mentioned you were in the ATC as well. Yeah. What was the squadron? Forty-two, was it? I think it was. Eh? I, I was I was number seven up here. Yeah, forty. I've got I've got a thing in there. I, I can't remember. But anyway, uh, must be what two, three years ago now. They had the reunion, and I went down for that. And okay. my brother had come across from Australia, and he'd been in the ATC after I was. Because I was in the very through the war years, and then he went there, and so we were able to meet up at the re ATC reunion, which okay. was uh, quite good fun. Yeah. And, uh, and there was another chap there. Uh, he he was in the in the model club and a bit older than I am. And uh, one Gordon Volker. And he was very much into the, the models. His father was a car enthusiast and had all the exotic cars, you know, and, you know, Elvis or whatever happened to be going at the time. Yeah. Um, so that, that was interesting. But I, I saw Gordon at the reunion, but I haven't heard from about him uh, recently, so he'd be into his 90s anyway. So. But he kept pretty good health. He was a... I remember he was a harrier, did a lot of running. Okay. Buggered his knees at the end. <laughs> yeah, I remember every told me when I was talking to him his, his legs had packed up there, pounding the pavements with for the running. Because back then the harriers used to <coughs> they'd send somebody off with a bag full of um, newsprint strip, yeah, the, as the papers were done, they'd just have strips. Anyway, they kept this stuff. And back then, yeah, they were allowed to just sort of throw it out on the side of the road. And that was the marker for the the, the team to follow follow through. That was like the hare and the hounds. So the hare went out and threw this paper on the... Then the, uh, all the hounds chased after him. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime later, five, ten, might be quarter of an hour later, <coughs> to um, to follow this paper trail. Uh, when you look back on it, things that we did then, no, <laughs> not allowed today. No. <coughs> but nobody seemed to get into get into trouble. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was that bit of it. But the uh, the. Um, Time with, with Temple. That was when I really enjoyed the the work there. 
uh, mostly just sort of refueling, although I remember him helping, getting me to help work on the aircraft for the rigging and that. And uh, ANL was refinished, as I might have said, in, in deep cream on the beach blue. And when I was down in Hawke's Bay oh, three or four years back, uh, ANL flew in. It's uh, still flying. Still flying, yeah. But it was silver back there. I think it had been converted to top dressing, then converted back to uh, sporting uh, flying. I think it's a hood aerodrome now, Chris, there. Hmm? I think it's a hood aerodrome now. It's a hood, is it? I think so, yeah, with oh. the uh, sporting vintage. Could, could well be, yeah. yeah. But we had all sorts of aircraft there. There was a, there were two or three, three Piper Cubs, J3s. Okay. Uh, there was Pop West had one. Uh, Trevor Terry, I think, had the other. Or Franklin was another another one. Had, had that. I remember one day <coughs> I was at the aerodrome and it was uh, the Westerly had come up quite strong. And this uh, Piper Cub came around and uh, <coughs> Temple Martin said to me, we better go out and help him to, to come in because it's stiff westerly. And I remember seeing this Piper Cub just sitting over the boundary hedge, just sitting there. And the guy with full throttle on, managed to get down, tail's still up, and Temple and I went round to swing on the struts to take him back. <laughs> That's how strong the wind was. Wow. You know, he had to keep the nose on and the power on. He had to just sit on the ground. <coughs> and uh, so because uh, the wind came up after he'd... You know, I think he'd come from Waipakarao. Yeah. And uh, that was an interesting day. And then, of course, aerial mapping moved into the... Um, Bridge Power Aerodrome, they were operating the Beechcraft yep. and then they went into the um, Aero Commanders. Okay. Uh, that came later. But, uh, so you had the Monospar to start with? Oh, I had the Monospar, that's right. <coughs> I remember Temple did a complete rebuild on the Monospar and uh, I remember one day they had a hangar fire, lost the Monospar. Mm. Yeah, that's when I was away. And, uh, and I, <coughs> I had some uh, movie footage of the Monospar uh, flying at an air show. And I wasn't happy with the quality of the film and I sent it back to Auckland for their assessment. And that was the last I saw of the film. Uh, but that was then the movie film had to go to Auckland for processing. Yeah. And I, 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 as I said, I didn't like the, the results, so I sent it to me. They, I rang them or they, I wrote to them, and they said, oh, send it back. I sent it back while they assessed it, but that was the last I saw of it. That's a shame. Uh, you probably could, could have fixed it now if it was digitised. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, the camera that I had wasn't that good, but it used to jump in the gate many years as I realize now it's probably a, a fault with the pressure gate to didn't hold it steady and it was each time it stopped there it, it was just that fraction out yeah and you, so your picture tended to to jump on the screen but nonetheless I'm still going to 
got a lot of film there. Um, model era club stuff, uh, national championships, got a heap of that. Uh, did some gliding, went with a, with a guy uh, on the back of the Tomato Hills there, beat backwards and forwards. The only time we ever felt the Essex was the going down and reefing it around hard at the end of the run, come back, and it was those G-forces that that got at me. And I wasn't sick, but I didn't feel good. Yeah. Um, so that was another experience. Uh, and then I <coughs> uh, went to, ended up with aerospace, well, before it became aerospace. I did, we'd come up to um, Hamilton after I'd got my advanced trade certificate. And they told me when I got it, oh, we can't get any more work out of you, we're not going to pay you. So, uh, all right. So I had this shiny new certificate. I'll try and do something with it. So we came up here for a movie club conference one Labor weekend. And I thought, while we're here, I'll see what, what's offering. So I put out a few inquiries and uh, I was offered, offered this job of manager for a, a small printing outfit. The guy had died and his widow wanted somebody to take over. Yep. So I got the job. So we moved to Hamilton and uh, we started the job. Well, the equipment was pretty old. This guy had made his money out of oddball printing, illegal printing, crown and anchor, rifle tickets, because back then there was a lot of restriction on uh, raffles and that sort of thing. Yep. Anyway, uh, they, I, I said to her, look, we've got to get some, you know, some decent gear, and they had a couple of guys there that were... <sighs> One of them at lunchtime would rush up to the pub come back. <laughs> the other one, he'd, he'd, he was the guillotine operator. We had a hand clamp guillotine. I remember looking for Eddie, not Eddie, um, but I can't think of his name. Anyway, I'd go and find him. Be on the, on the guillotine like that asleep. Bloody hopeless. I took on a, a young guy from Pommy Guy. He had a mouth that would Put a billet driver to shame, and because we had women in the in the bindery department and paper, I had to go at this guy. Anyway, at the end of it, I I didn't like the job. This is anyway. She said, "I'm not making any money out of this." It was difficult because uh, the equipment was old. They didn't keep up with with technology. And I did the best I could with what we had. In the end, she said, I've got to sell. So another guy that worked for a printer in town, and he decided to buy it. So he bought the place. He said to me, oh, you can stay on as, the, as my liner operator. <coughs> so I said, well, I'll give you a while anyway. So I stayed for a while. In the end, I thought, no, I've had enough. And I saw an ad for Storman out at um, Aerochrome Plate. So I thought, oh, I'll apply for that. You don't need to fill in. 
But when I got there, the, the guy said, we've got a storeman. We need a grinder operator. I said, well, I haven't seen one of these. He said, we've got the only one in New Zealand. I said, I haven't done anything like that. And he said, uh, what do you do? So I told him, background to hobbies and that sort of thing. He said, we want somebody who used to work in the, with close limits. I said, well, the model aircraft was second enough. And by that time, I'd made a, a model which I'd done very well at the national championships. And uh, anyway, I just said, no, no, I couldn't afford to drop a salary. Well, this guy chased me, and in the end, I said to him, well, look, I'm not sure whether I can afford to chuck the job in that I've got. Um, in case I can't do it, I said, how about I come in on a Saturday and have a look at this machine and see if we can do it. The guy looked me in the eye and said, if that's your attitude, he said, start Monday. Just like that. So he must have known that I had the ability to, to handle this thing. Anyway, it, <coughs> excuse me, I got the machine going. And uh, we were turning eight and ten cylinders, you know, grinding them out ready for re-chrome plating, if you know anything about it. Right, um, it was like a rebore. They took them oversized, had to be within limits, certain limits, had to be a set shape because they were a choke bore. And uh, anyway, eight and ten cylinders, and they were quite happy. And I scratched my head and I thought, I'm sure we can do better than that. It's taking too long to to get the very smooth finish there. And <clears throat> I knew a little bit about engineering, not a lot, but a little bit, enough to know that on turning, you could turn the head for taper turning. So I applied much the same principle to the to the grinder. I was a, there was no manual on the grinder to tell me how to operate it. So what it was, was just trial and error. <coughs> so one day I got an old cylinder and put it up and started to adjust the machine, the head on the machine, because it was a big, great big head and it had a, the grinding arm, was a, had a grinding wheel on the end of a quill that went in and out there with your cutting fluid on it. And um, anyway, I got, got into this and I started to adjust the machine. Ah, there was a significant improvement in what I was doing. So going from the eight or ten cylinders a day, I, the best day I did was 24 cylinders. Right. More than doubled the production, just by adjusting the machine. Yeah. So I did that for several years, and then they put me on to um, quality assurance, on the inspection. Had to use a bore scope and check that the the channel chrome was, was right, or continuous channels are not broken, and all the rest. You really had to, to look at it. And um, I did that for some several years, and then ended up, uh, oh, they asked for me to go over and do a stock take. And I remember the manager said, oh, he said, he's the dearest bloke that we've got. I said, it doesn't matter, we want him. And it was obviously that I had the ability to look at something and know whether it was right or not. And so where stock had been wrongly binned, it was quite easy for me to 
spot the difference, only a slight difference. It might be, you know, whether it be a left-hand thread or a right-hand thread or whatever. And I could spot the difference and re-bin it and, and at the same time check the, uh, the quality of the, the stuff, like nuts and bolts. If there was a bit of corrosion, we could either reject them or I could call up a repair scheme so that we could re-caddy plate the stuff and put it back into, into stock. So I did, did that for a while and uh, I ended up as overseas purchasing officer when the um, Air New Zealand threw up their hands and threw the company back to the bank. That was when the whole shibozal collapsed. And I, I wasn't in the union at the time. All the union guys were kept on. I wasn't in the union, I just got busy the door. So, um, <coughs> so I went back into printing. And then we went overseas for four years. Did all sorts of jobs there. And in the in the meantime, I'd uh, Ozzy James had tapped me on the shoulder about getting the schools interested in aircraft construction, so that they had engineers coming forward. So anyway, he. Uh, he got me involved and saw an ad for this Murphy Maverick kit set that was in Christchurch. <coughs> the guy who imported it had been killed in a, a flying accident. It hit a fence and burst into flames. Anyway, the family decided to sell it at the right, the right price to the school. So I was very much involved with the setting up the Murphy Maverick project at the um, St Paul's Collegiate. And uh, we, we, we built that in a year. And, uh, and then, <coughs> um, um, what's his name, from Cambridge, Brian Farrell. Brian Farrell. <coughs> he kept an eye on us yep. and did the test flying. <coughs> And uh, I, I did a bit of flying in it and sort of got my hands on it, although I didn't, didn't fly solo at all. Um, and then after that, uh, I said to, to Brian one day, I said, uh, is there a mic microlite I could build? He said, oh, he said, the Jodel D-18 is a microlite. There's, one being built over in Cambridge or Tarong or wherever. So I went and had a look. It was over in Tarong. And uh, I went and had a look at this one under construction. I thought, gee, that looks all right. Because I like working with wood. Sent, I've got the plan. Went to Auckland, selected a heap of um, western hemlock made sure the grain was straight, it was good clean stuff. I weighed it, I took the bathroom scales and weighed to each strip, brought it back tight on the side of the van and proceeded to um, cut it to the required sizes. Uh, I bought the saw bench at that time and 
It was nicely set up so I was to do very accurate cutting. And, uh, my, my check was to cut a few strips and then put them together and measure them and make sure that they weren't under. You look up fractionally over, but you're not allowed to go under size. Right. So I did that, built the, uh, the jodel over, oh, well, ten, 10 years. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, it wasn't that long. Anyway, I suppose put the jodel together and uh, I, I, I joined forces with Noel Bailey. Noel had a bit of cash, so. And we had the the chance of buying the Jabiru motor that the school had decided to change. So we bought the that, and uh, we so we put the Jabiru into the into the Joel and uh, Noel did all the test flying and uh, spot right. We didn't have to do a thing to, to the trim. It just came out right. And uh, the flying, the flying still, the thing is still flying. It's got a couple of thousand hours on it already. The only thing we ever had to change was the um, tail wheel, only because I used a, an ordinary motor mower one and the bearings cut out. <laughs> so we had to put a new tail wheel or new bearings on the tail wheel. And I think Noel, uh, Noel put some, uh, some other cylinders on the mm. on the motor. So yeah. but that wasn't me; that was the motor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so the motor, the airplane's still flying. It's so it must have a couple of thousand hours on it. And Noel's got that. He's got down here. Oh, yeah. it's Tacoma. Okay. Yeah. JAC, Julie had Alpha Charlie. Did you do any flying yourself? Uh, not solo, no. I had a steer. I know how to how to fly them because I got very much into the radio controlled stuff. And, uh, so you, you you develop a knowledge of, of aviation, aerodynamics, and that sort of thing with the hands on. And I suppose if if it had got to a stage where if I was flying with all and he cacked it. I'd have been able to get us down. Yeah, yeah I, I was that confident. In fact, my first landing, uh, we ended up with a 360 degree. I couldn't, didn't hold it straight. We were over a Wahoroa, and I landed it and, and went round, round looped it. But he said, that's normal, you know, for that type of aeroplane. So it, it sort of put me off a little bit, but but flying generally bored me. I was more interested in the in the creation. Uh, the same with the models. Build them, fly them. Yeah, right, right. Let's get on with the next one. Yeah, take them to the tower auction, sell them all off, <laughs> start again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think Dad was a bit like that with his models too. Yeah. He spent more time building than he did flying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was uh, that's where I was. Yeah. Yeah, the aviation has been pretty much my life, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah, it was 
Yeah, yeah. He didn't follow on quite to the same degree, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Did a bit of overseas flying, you know, went overseas a few times. And yeah. <coughs> oh, I flew the uh, <coughs> um, Ford Tri Motor oh. over uh, Las Vegas. Oh wow! Yeah, well, they <coughs> went for a ride. You know, you pay so much. Yeah. You pay a, like an extra five dollars, and you're able to sit in the right-hand seat. Oh. The bloke said, "Me, do you fly?" I said, "No, I will fix that." He said. So away we were. Took off. Yeah, you have control. <coughs> and I'd um, I'd be listening to a couple of guys who'd only just come in from a flight. One of them says, "Well, he said it's a real sticking aeroplane stick." Stick and run an aeroplane. I knew exactly what he was all about. <laughs> so when this guy gave me a flight, I knew to kick in some rudder yep. <laughs> with the, the wheels about the speed. <laughs> and he said, God, he said, you know how to handle this. He said, why don't you learn? <laughs> I didn't know I'd been listening. <laughs> but um, no, that was an interesting, interesting experience too. Cab sitting down the back, looking all, all scared. <laughs> Jack up front, enjoying every minute of it. Yeah. What's the visibility like out of a tri-motor with an engine in front and two beside? Um, no, it's okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can see out the, out the front, all right, because yeah. you tend to be out the side rather than right. you're not dead. That's a fairly short nose on them. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, that was uh, that was one of the more interesting experiences. Yeah. Uh, so you're still building models now? Yeah. Small pack flyer type only. Uh, I have a bit of trouble now. My fingers are not working. You know, I keep dropping stuff. But, uh, and last last time out with an IC, I, I reached across to do something, chop my chop my hand, healed all right. But um, I thought, nah, give that away and gone into electric. It was only not that I'm that interested in it. It was just it was to be able to create something yeah. rather than than wanting to do it. It was just what I do. Yes. Yeah. Regarding the school um, project that you did with uh, St Paul's, hmm. um, were there at that time any other schools doing that sort of thing? I believe they, one in Christchurch, okay. did and they did a wooden single-seater because obviously the guy was interested in that component. I when we started out here I said we'll do a wooden one because I yeah, you know, I, I knew the timber, I knew how to handle handle the timber and if they muck up easy enough to cut another piece, whereas on a, a metal you gotta cut another piece of metal. That was the thinking in the back of my mind, but it didn't quite work that way. Because when we we did it we had a 
a guy who'd been a, a motor mechanic, uh, Ron Hildreth, who'd, who'd worked for, you know, Ron. Um, and oh, Bruce Henderson, Bruce was in there. Yeah, he got, came on board with the some of the covering. Um, <clears throat> but what it was, we had we had this mechanic guy, and I. If there were instructions that tell you you drill a hole in a number number eight or whatever it was, uh, they were number drills. And he used an eighth drill. I said, it's not the same. Yes, it is. I said, it's not the same. And we had quite an argument, and uh, only because he'd made, done the drilling for the components for the tail wheel. And they had to be right so that you could put a drive pin in. Well, when, when he'd done it, the drive pin fell out. He'd gone just that. He he couldn't understand the, the the importance of accuracy. You know, being a, a motor mechanic, near enough is good enough, so long as it doesn't leak or the motor runs, it's all right. Whereas I was working to the book, and if it told you that was what you did, that's what you did. And I remember had uh, Brian. Um, Farrell came out one day, and I, it was after we'd assembled the, the fuselage. The fuselage was in two sections, and I'd put it together and had the clecos in it, and I'd put a string line down the centre. And I said to Brian, I said, I'm a bit worried. He said, why? I said, I'm an eighth of an inch off on the centre line, you know, where the, the row of rivets and one was just out this way. The, the string went through there and this line looked like that. An eighth of an inch. And Brian said if every aircraft was built to that tolerance we wouldn't have any trouble at all. And it was good because I know as much that, that I was staying with the accuracy. And this again was what I'd done with the um, at aerospace when they made me up to inspector and I was just uh, able to inspect the components. And I remember Nigel's boss of the time, they'd done some some work for aerospace and they, the uh, number that they built, they were oh, blocks or something. No, they were um, wing spar. Um, uh, um, supports. Yeah, they had bits anyway. Yeah. They had to be drilled. And uh, I inspected them and I rejected some of them because the holes were oversized. They obviously the drill had been let to get blunt. And I rejected them. Well, <laughs> World War Three nearly started over that. <laughs> What do I know about engineering and all the rest of it? And my attitude was, you don't have to be able to lay eggs to know when one is rotten. And uh, that was that was it. You know, I just said they said measure to the to the drawing, and that was what I had to do. If it didn't conform, it was out. Let somebody else make the decision 
whether it was all right. That wasn't my my call, <laughs> and that's been my my attitude right through. You know, had to be right. Not a perfectionist, but it had to be right. There's a slight difference. Yeah. Well, yeah, a very interesting uh, life in aviation, really. I suppose it has, yeah. when I look mm. back on it. Mm. Uh, the, uh, messing around with aeroplanes. Yes. But my parents would, were against me learning to fly. You know, I used to sneak the odd flight out. I remember one day going out to the aerodrome. Mum says, you're late home, where have you been? I said, out to the aerodrome. What for? Oh, I took part in a flying scholarship. Wow. Could have scraped her off the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't the done thing then. <laughs> so they were very much against, against flying. I was okay to mess around with aeroplanes. I wasn't going to get in them. Right. <coughs> that was her attitude. Do you regret that, that you didn't... Hmm? Do you regret that you didn't uh, pursue it? I, I regret that I didn't stay with Temple. And... Uh, or even stayed in, on, in the Air Force. Because when I look back now, the way that... Uh, the uh, rebuilds on historic aircraft. I reckon I'd be right with that. See, I went to Old Warden and had a good look around Walter Old Warden and I would have loved to have been in there. I went down to uh, the one in um, Gore. Oh, yeah. There's Smithy and down there. Yeah. And uh, they it was just after they'd landed the uh, mosquito for the coming from Canada. I thought, yeah, if I'd been able to do that, I'd have been in on that. Yeah, I mean, it was the, the building was, to me, more important than the flying. Uh, I enjoyed the flying, but but more important was the creating. That's amazing, some of the stuff that's being rebuilt these days. Oh, yes. When yeah. you think about what your father said, there's no, no future in that, but yeah. everyone will need a newspaper. Well, who uses a newspaper <laughs> anymore? <laughs> You're exactly right. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 Today's news, tomorrow fish and chips. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I would have liked to have uh, done the, um, the aviation because I think some, a few years back they were crying out for workers who had wood and fabric experience to be able to put an aircraft together. Yep. Well you see I did I did the Bristol Scout here and I just got the three view drawing. Yep. Enlarged it up. I scaled it up on the, on the uh, office down below there, it was laid out some tables, got a roll of paper and just scaled it the way I'd been scaling models off the the three view that I had. Yep. Because I knew it wasn't going to fly, it didn't matter how accurate it was but I mean I made it accurate to the drawing uh, what it didn't have was the approval to be able to fly it mainly because I was just using well I used Western Hemlock 
but I ordered the Western ham. I said I wanted so much of this, and they just sent me anything. I had to make do with it. Whereas had I been building an aeroplane to fly, I'd have gone to Auckland and selected the, the timber to make it right. But however, uh, I put the thing together. I had one or two people who have flown saw the scout and said, yeah, if you put a motor on it, that would fly. There'd be no trouble at all. It'd be strong enough. And I said, well, yeah, but, you know, I was never intended to be, to be in the air. Yeah. Why, why, why did you select the Scout as the one to do? Was it because it was small uh, easy or? Well, it was, we'd just been discussing it with the armistice people at uh, Cambridge. And one of the guys had sent me, he said, oh, we want to get some aircraft up. And it was, well, the vintage aircraft, it was going to cost this much, you see, thousands. And I said, God, for that sort of money, you could have your own aeroplane. And he looked at me and said, oh, I said, you could build one for display. Could you do it? I said, yes. And so that was how it sort of evolved when I got this. The drawing was a model out of a model magazine, quite nicely detailed. And um, I think I enlarged it. I enlarged a photocopy. I then scaled off that. I drew all the lines out with a pencil and paper so that I could lay down the, the fuselage side frames to the exact size. Yep. So we did that and made up the uh, I must have bought a, I got a bench from somewhere anyway that was long enough to take that, laid the, the drawing out, blocks of wood screwed on to hold everything in place, glued all the bits in, just the same, the same as I was building a model. Instead of putting pins in, I was screwing blocks of wood on to hold it, uh, laminated the timber for any sharpish curves. Had a, friend who was a um, you know, boiler maker, he worked for the power company, and he was a, an ace or an angle grinder. So he made all the struts for me, he could ground them down with this this angle grinder. Made a lovely job of the, of the wing struts, we just finished them off. Nigel did, did the engineering work, you know, a lot of the, the welding and that. Um, <clears throat> there were different people around town. I a new guy that did the laser cutting. Mm. I bought all the plywood aircraft ply from Brian Farrell and uh, we got all the ribs laser cut. And then I was able to make up a jig and make up all the, all the ribs. Uh, <clears throat> it was an interesting exercise. I, I really enjoyed that. I think the, I think the the person that suggested about leaving half of it uncovered yeah. is a genius um, because you know as you pointed out right sort of when they did that it was a case of well you cover it up people can't see how the airplane was actually built a hundred years ago yeah. and this is what a lot of young people can't comprehend these days is they can see something finished but they don't know what the construction of it looks like and you know 
the airplane being in tower on is the best place for it because you're getting people yeah. going through it all the time yeah. and you're seeing yeah. that sort of thing. And if we don't preserve that, we've lost it. Well, they brought it over once without without my assistance, and uh, I got damaged mainly because they didn't use the right sequence for dismantling it to transport it. Yeah. And I thought, no, I'm not going to see my work broken up just because of somebody being ignorant <coughs> on how to do it. So that was why it was. Now the other aspect of it was that when we were discussing the possibility of building it, uh, <coughs> the um, guy said yes. He said, "Oh, there'll be something in it for Jack." You know, I put the put the effort in, the labour, all the rest of it. <coughs> but when the day came, there was nothing there. They'd I think they'd overspent on on, on hiring display aircraft because that's a, a five minute wonder you know well that's great yes right and that was the the money just disappeared along with the aeroplane and so the I, I was a bit a bit miffed that they didn't even write a letter and say well thank you for your effort so in the end I said no you can stay in Tauranga and as well as it's probably the best place for it. They've got it hanging up out there. That's good, that's good there. I was actually looking at it only a few weeks ago and I was thinking, yeah, this is a good place for it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> I mean, there are some aspects of it that are probably not as they would have been in 1914, but externally it looked right. I used Seekonite uh, fabric, and got a load of that. Um, if anybody's going to complain, I want to see the guy that actually built one of the original ones to come over and complain about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's one. There is an original one flying. Yes, now, yes. And they are coming over soon too. So. Yeah. Are they? Yeah. yeah. Apparently, they're coming for a visit to New Zealand. So. Yeah. Well, but they, you've been in touch with them. That yeah, they were, they, they were. They were. They. They gave. gave they gave me quite a bit of information. Yeah. It would be really good for them to catch up. So um, um, must keep them. Yeah, um, yeah, I think they're coming from Wanaka next year. Oh, are they? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, I, don't, I don't think they're bringing the plane. No, 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 they're just coming over. Yeah. So, is, uh, does Andrew have been talking to them, or oh, is this just? Don't know. I've heard that through. Oh, just through the grapevine. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you seen the other one that's up in Ardmore now? The other Bristol Scout. No, I've seen a photo of it. It's actually really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, when it first came out of the box and it looked look, it looked bright yellow in the photographs that I saw and I was like, oh, yuck. But in real life, it's actually really cool. And uh, watching it fly, fantastic. And, yeah. Um, uh, one of my best friends has actually flown it. He flew it at a market and he said it's a really nice plane to fly as well. So, yeah. Um, I was quite surprised because it kind of, it, that's a replica. Some of them built it in his garage, uh, much like you have. And I kind of was just a little bit, mind you, it has got an original uh, engine, 1919 engine. Mm. And I was thinking, uh, what's it going to be like? But apparently it's really, really nice. So, mm. yeah. yeah, I was, I was more interested in the, the airframe side of it, of course, rather mm. than anything else. But yeah. uh, 
had a grandson organise the wheels, you know, a couple of cycle wheels. And, yep. Uh, it was a, there were a lot of people contributed to that aeroplane, but uh, in either labour or materials yep. as required. It's, it's good too that it, um, it kind of brings back a type that was forgotten, because everyone knows the you know the Bristol Pup and the yeah. Um, or you know, various other uh, aircraft like that, yeah. But um, uh, you know, well, the so sorry, the Sopwith pup um, and the camel and all that. But the Bristol Scout had been a forgotten type, almost. Yeah, why I chose it, I think, was probably its simplicity. Right. Uh, it was a fairly simple aeroplane, and the other one of the other things was that. It was purported to have been flown by a New Zealander over um, uh, 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 Gallipoli. Gallipoli. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not. We've we've got nothing to substantiate that. But uh, <clears throat> as far as I was able to determine, that that's a reasonably accurate aeroplane. Mm. Uh, you know. Um, We've got old uh, cables off the uh, top dressing aircraft there. They gave me a bundle of cables to, for the rigging and all that sort of thing. Because back then they would have been wire rigging and they weren't the uh, uh, airfoil rigging wires, you know, the flat stuff like they've got on, on the modern aircraft. I'm sure that they were just wire back then. So there's a certain degree of license in building it. Yeah. But you've got to expect that when it's a non-flying replica, so in a low budget. Yeah. 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 Um, one thing we didn't really go into too much is uh, your Air Force training. How long did that last for? Uh, it was three months and then we did three weeks a year for about four years. Annual, okay. annual camps and uh, the the first three months it was very much um, square bashing and that yep. and then towards the end we, we got put into different sections that was when I went to the airframe section and I remember the uh, some of the lectures that we had on aerodynamics and that I mean I I was way up with with that, I knew exactly what they were on about. And I remember the instructors, he was a sergeant, and uh, there was another chap there who'd also been messing around with aeroplanes a bit. And he said, oh, yeah, I remember, well remember this guy looking at us, he said, there's nothing I can teach you guys about the next subject. Go out and put that aeroplane together. They had an instructional airframe. And I'd done some work with Temple and rigging, you know, the incidents and all the rest of it. So we're over to Tressless Airplane, this other guy and I. And that was what we did. We we spent the, the lecture periods putting this Tiger Moth together. Okay. And uh, yeah, you know, as I said before, there must have been a certain amount of psychology with the Air Force selectors to have put me into airframe, probably on the basis of what they read about me in the on their documents. Yeah, 
times. <clears throat> and I was quite happy to do that. But in hindsight, I should have stayed in the Air Force and, and done a trade. Oh, that's a fairly short time, really, three months and then oh, yeah. a few weeks a year. You, you didn't get time to really learn that much, I guess. Um, no, it was more... The, the three months there, I think it was like DIs on a Harvard, how to go around that. We did a flight to Harvard. Uh, vampire pulled the wing off the vampire. I got fuel all down me, so they sent me back to change. Because <laughs> they said, if you don't get get out of out of that, go out of your overalls, you'll get yourself burnt. You know, it'll burn your skin. And uh, so that was an accident that I had with the with the vampire. And then I was involved with the the vampires when they started them up. If they had a wet start, they'd, they'd be playing there, and you'd have to stand by with a fire extinguisher. All the, all the usual drill that went with it. Um, <clears throat> what else? Oh, we went away in the Dakota. We went up to to Wigram from Tyree. An outing, day outing. Um, but, oh, we did a test flight with a, in a Domini, and uh, the full full load test. You know, that was all the seats occupied. And I remember them going up to to do this test and looking out, and one of the cowling covers was flapping. You know, and they said, "Oh, it'll be all right." So anyway, they said we're going to do the stall test. Well, I knew what what they were in for, but some of the guys they they, they were dead scared because yeah, they pulled up and went, you know, dropped, but it dropped straight. You know, was was good. But there, that was that was a good full load test. Not the repeat. Not much else there. So each time that you had to go back for your annual three weeks, yeah. was that also back to Tyree or? No, I went to Ahokia. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, because they had, they were operating vampires at that time. Yeah. And we had the, yes, vampires, we had the vampire that we, we pulled apart. Um, what else was there? They would have had Dakotas and Freighters and uh, things like that? Yeah, I think it was Dakota around anyway. Avengers too? Hmm? Would there have been Avengers there still then? I can't remember. I can't remember what there was. No, I don't think there would have been not not serviceable anyway. What year was it that you were? Uh, well, I went in 1950 to Tyree. So 51, 52, 53. Okay. Uh, um, uh, here. Um, oh, what was I was going to say. That was gone. <laughs> it's gone completely. <laughs> mm. 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 Yeah, well, I knew some people, but you, know, you could walk through. You could see the, the airplanes being built, yeah. the CT4 line, and um, then it was for the Thai Air Force. I think there was at the time that they were building yeah. um, some of them. 
and then they'd get aeroplanes coming back and they'd, they'd been um, fitted out with certain things because that particular contract that didn't go ahead so they'd bring them back, they'd pull those bits out and then refit the aeroplane with something else. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, we had that when that uh, aeroplane was supposedly going to Rhodesia. Mm. You know, it's a political thing there. And they they were in storage for a long time. And I think they were re-equipped for Australia. Australia put them. But, uh, yeah, I, did, I flew in a, in a CT4 with uh, John Muir. Mm. Went up to Auckland and back in the CT4. Uh, and I also, I'm pretty sure I had a ride in the uh, uh, Air Cruiser, mm. oh, yeah. which was the, the four-seater version, mm. With the doors. and that was the one they, they developed into the CD4. Yeah. <coughs> what was that like? Pretty good? Yeah, it was alright, yeah. Like any aeroplane, you know, it, it flew. Yep. Uh, so the design of it, uh, took the air cruiser and developed it into the air trainer was Pat Monk. Uh, uh, well, pa Pat Monk did that. Um, uh, Henry Milliser was the original designer mm. of the sea of the air tourer. Yep, and the air cruiser too. And the air cruiser. That's right. Yes. And then Pat Monk developed it into he, the air he trainer. He developed it. Yeah. Which, I mean, everyone seems to think the air tourer and the air trainer are very similar, but. Uh, there's a whole lot of structural difference, isn't there? Oh, yeah. And the wings, and I mean, it had to be a product of military strength and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and um, because there were so many different models of the uh, uh, Air, Air Tour, uh, no, the CT4, the, mm. the trainer, mm. um, they, they made changes there. For different purposes, the, the motors they change the motors, mm -hmm. the turbo. To six to two to two uh, motors. I remember they were they had the one of the early ones out to test the ejection from the canopy. Right. <clears throat> and I remember them tying the aeroplane down and then getting a. Must be a Bristol Freighter, I think. Was it Hercules? Was it Hercules? Yeah, they tied it behind Hercules. Yeah, and they they ran it up to get a fair a fair fair amount of wind, and yeah. they and they rejected the canopy to see what would happen. Pat Monk was on board. The yeah, aircraft. I remember him telling me about that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said it was a Hercules. It must have been, yeah, um, pretty windy, I imagine, <laughs> sitting behind that in the little little plane. Yeah, yeah, they. they had the fairly fairly high speed wind to be able to test the the canopy mm. ejection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we saw a lot of that, you know, the, well, I was in the in the chrome plate at that time, I think. Uh, must have been I'm trying to think how long it was before I went from a chrome plate to to aerospace. I think aerospace was formed of the various companies on the airfield to give the financial backing for the construction of the city ports. Uh, and the, the government the government put in Air New Zealand 
as their contribution. And of course, it was okay until the, um, I think it was that, the, the, air, the board, an Air New Zealand board, couldn't handle general aviation. And it was, it was at the time when there was a downturn in the farming. So, of course, production on the city, on the uh, uh, Crescos went down. And they, they were in hard, hard times. They weren't able to sell aeroplanes because the farmers weren't top dressing. So there were the, nobody was bending aeroplanes. Uh, <coughs> it was a sort of supply and demand sort of situation. And that was when uh, the Air New Zealand board threw up their hands and said, the bank, it's yours, and walked away from it. Okay. And that was when they had to have a receiver move in and he made all the necessary changes, got rid of staff, left, right and centre. And that's when it changed to Pacific Aerospace, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, prior to that it was New Zealand Aerospace. And then it was reformed Pacific. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, though, it's it's quite a, a long-lived um, company for a small aerospace company because there's not many that have lasted. It's got to be 50 years now. Mm. Uh, there's not many that have really lasted that well. Um, that aren't the big the big boys, if you know what I mean. So yeah. Um, Although I think they're in a bit of financial strife at the moment as well. But, um, how long they're going to be around, I don't know. You see, it was Aero Engine Services and Crow Plate. Aero Crow Plate were the two bits on the airfield. There was yeah. another one called Air Parts. Air Parts was well yeah. on the other yeah. side. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's what Andy was. Who was the engineering else. one now? He was there at the. They had an engineering shop adjacent to. Um, Aeromotive. Yeah, no. <coughs> Aeromotive. Aeromotive came in. That's um, Lester Lacey. Oh, there's the Lacey with the one. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had the had, uh, engineering shop. Mm. And, yeah. So they, that was a. Con they brought them all in together. They all put shares in to, to make um, aerospace. Yep. <coughs> it was quite good in, in one respect. It gave me a chance to expand from, from the chrome plate division into, into aerospace with mm. uh, in the quality assurance sector civil aviation gave me approval to carry out inspections but there was sort of still limited on the area that i could do it but it was inspector drawing in effect and i remember uh, what was the uh, civil aviation guy's name george I got on fairly well with him anyway, and uh, he, he re recognised my abilities, so I had no problem at all. Sure. 
That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.